Hello and welcome. It's Ken Drews and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Today you get to listen in on a conversation that I had with Brie Golovna Arthur. She's one of the young guns of horticulture. And we're going to learn all sorts of things, including how to propagate camellias. I'm speaking with Brianne Glovna Arthur, who is the propagator and grower for Camellia Forest Nursery in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hello, Bree. Good morning. I'm so glad to speak with you. We've we've communicated via email for quite some time, but this is the first time we're talking. This is, and I really enjoyed our email correspondence. Well, so much has happened to us. <laughs> A lot's happened to you. I, I haven't gotten married, but I've had floods. What I want to hear about first is your history in horticulture. Well, I started as an intern uh, when I was a sophomore at Purdue, working for an annual grower called Heartland Growers, which is part of the Van Wingerden family. And I always laugh because it was by far the most sophisticated facility that I've ever worked. And probably from a economic standpoint, the most sustainable with benefits and overtime and, you know, holiday pay that is not something that's ordinary in this industry. And in the duration of time that's passed, I think I've got uh, less and less sophisticated, but more and more intrigued with plants. Oh, uh, well, I know that you are intrigued with plants because that's what we've been communicating about via email, and and part of that was, and we may get to talk about it, was my never-ending search for the the cornus, <laughs> and we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, did you go? So you were at Purdue, and then you were working for this big grower, and then what happened? I took a summer internship with Nancy Goodwin at Montrose Gardens in Hillsboro, and it totally opened the world to me in in what I would like to do. Of course, moving from the Midwest where I could garden year-round and not be cold and uncomfortable, which I don't enjoy, but seeing, you know, how the garden can change from season to season, and I love the social aspect of gardening. I like talking about plants, and I like showing visitors around, and it totally changed my initial motivation in school. I was you know, I was studying landscape design. I knew right then I really wanted to garden. Hmm. Well, one thing about Montrose years and years ago, uh, I think in a funny way, Nancy Goodwin discovered fall, if you know what I mean. There, I do, through cyclamen and little bulbs. It's... it's incredible because in the South, you have this long, wonderful gardening season, and it's not so hot. And it goes on for months, and people didn't used to take advantage of it, but Nancy Goodwin really does. She has such an exquisite collection, and you know her plant knowledge is so, you know, incredible and diverse. It was a really wonderful place to kind of expand my education, and certainly introduced me to what we call being a plant nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Where all your conversations revolve around botanical Latin. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. So after Montrose, what happened? Well, I uh, went back to school, and when I finished, I came back full-time to work for Nancy. And I was there about three years, and um, then realized while I was working for Nancy that I really did love production of plants. 
specifically sticking cuttings and trying to root things that people generally don't have success with. And I was fortunate to uh, happen upon the production manager job at Plant Delights, which was really, really life life changing. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea so many plants existed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Plant Delights in in uh, I guess it's in Raleigh, um, North Carolina, is one of the few of the great last nurseries where you can find really unusual things and lots of them. There used to be several nurseries like that. Well, and so prolific. I mean, you know, with Tony searching the world for plants and, you know, it's such a world-renowned nursery uh, and it's a wonderful facility for testing plants and, you know, specifically for the Southeast, so many plants are introduced that you know, don't really take the heat and humidity or high night temperatures that the Southeast has. And so it's really great that Tony can facilitate that fabulous garden along with that collection that's for sale. And I had no idea that the horticulture industry was so amazing and full of so many incredible people until I worked there. And I, you know, I'm so thankful that we have this community of plant people. And now thanks to Facebook worldwide, we get to communicate. I, it I was do, definitely. <laughs> I do want to mention that's Tony Avent, <laughs> who's the owner of Plant Delights, and a, and you said plant nerd, and I sometimes say plant geek, but yes. uh, he's the yes. king, the king of the plant geeks. If well, I can say that. Well, you know, that. we laugh about it down here. Uh, it's almost like graduate school for plant nerds because if you work in the industry and are really, really, you know, to the core interested in plants, you've probably done a duration at Plant Delights because it's. It's just—it's really a relevant educational facility for you know a new generation of of people working in horticulture. Absolutely. And then, did you go to Camellia Forest from Plant Delights? Well, you know, I took some time and I did design work. I actually went directly from Plant Delights to a wholesale nursery to to learn how to produce trees and shrubs. Ooh. And that was an interesting time. You know, it was, it's a challenge in wholesale when you're really into plants because your palate is very limited. But it was a wonderful thing to see how to mass produce material very efficiently. And in that sense, it was a little reminiscent of the annual internship that I had done. Um, but from there, I, you know, I really did realize I needed to be immersed in interesting plants my 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 focus is too much in looking for something new trying something i haven't grown and the wholesale industry is just really limited so plant or uh camellia forest was a natural segue because david needed some help with propagating and my plant interests are sort of a perfect match for that nursery so it's kind of a miracle that we were able to team up at the time that we did and it's been so much fun working there oh. <laughs> well and and david and kai may tell tell me just a little bit about them well kai may started the nursery uh in 1979 33 years ago and um david grew up in the nursery and his plant knowledge is beyond understanding, partly because he's so quiet and he doesn't divulge a lot of information. And when he does, it's astounding. Um, and Kaime as well, with she she knows every camellia. It's incredible. You can describe a camellia and she'll know what it is. 
and it's working with the two of them is is really inspiring and also seeing the the family dynamic it's it's actually a really neat kind of intimate workplace to be in it feels like a family it's extended from an actual family mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's called camellia forest nursery and there are mostly camellias but you also grow and propagate other kinds of woody plants and it's again another one of those singular unique nurseries you know if you're on the west coast or in the south you can go to almost anywhere and get it like 10 different camellias and there's a couple of places in northern california where you can find a hundred different camellias but for mail order sort especially for mail order it's it's almost the only place where you can find really unusual things and i know in the last decade or so it's all been about tea which we can talk about in a minute but since you're talking about propagating woody plants plants that are well you said trees and shrubs and it's just amazing (laughs) i can't imagine being able to root a cutting of a tree so i well i imagine you have all sorts of things like mist and stuff like that but tell me a little bit about some of the things that you propagate and the ways that you do it well it's really exciting mail order it's a different beast from you know retail and definitely from wholesale it does enable you to have a diverse collection uh, because you can reach a broader market. We don't have to specifically focus just on Southeast. We get to have the opportunity. People open their gardens to us and walk around and give us these phenomenal tours and share their collections with us so that we can get those out to other gardeners. And so this year I actually went to 25 gardens in the 31 Ooh. days of May. <laughs> and gathered cuttings and all of them. And, you know, it really makes for a special collection because it's really kind of a pass-along concept. You know, some of the gardeners, like Paul James, you know, is a has the largest rhododend- rhododendron collection in the southeast. And his collection expands to, you know, probably six, 700 different genera. Mm. Uh, so it allows us to have this immense diversity. And then also following off of the, you know, successes and failures of those gardeners so that we can, you know, try to access plants that are going to thrive and, you know, have been known to succeed versus something that's brand new. We can't compete in the patent market. We don't grow quantities of plants. So we're kind of going the opposite direction with camellias. We uh, went to Magnolia Plantation last July and gathered cuttings of their ancient camellia collection. Mm. These are plants, you know, that have been in the ground for 150 years, have survived war and drought and hurricanes, and they're not in the industry at all. You know, these are plants that are lost to the market. So it's exciting to bring plants back like that and share these experiences with our customers. I'm speaking with Bree Glevna Arthur of Camellia Forest Nursery, and you're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Well, camellias need a slightly, well, maybe more than slightly acidic soil, but uh, you're taking cuttings. Well, you should, I'm not going to try to lead you. You tell me, for example, how you would treat a camellia cutting. Well, I stick camellia cuttings uh, generally from mid-July until late August, sometimes into September. So I'm taking that sort of semi-hardwood. It's the flush that came from the spring, and it generally will have, you know, sunflower buds on it. 
Um, I score it slightly. I generally leave, you know, three leaves. I usually a five or six node cutting. And I dip it in, you know, a rooting, a liquid rooting hormone. Stick it in its deep 38 cells. It goes into the mist house where, you know, the mist the mist changes depending on the weather. But, you know, it's a pretty heavy mist through midsummer. And they're generally rooted in, you know, six to ten weeks. Mm. We pot them until April, so they're very well rooted by the time they go into the pots. And well, it's really can, a two-year cycle from sticking to selling. Can you tell uh, the listeners what a mist house is? Well, it's an exciting little place that actually uh, doesn't take a lot of sophistication to be successful. Um, you know, it's a facility that with high humidity so that you lower the rates of transpiration since you're sticking cuttings that, you know, they don't have a root system, so they're not really able to absorb nutrients and water in the common way. So, you know, you set the mist uh, to kind of balance the airflow and, and general humidity level. And we grow under a bench on gravel. And though it's inconvenient because I have to crawl around on my knees, <laughs> it's the best mist house I've ever worked in. Most greenhouses, you know, have the mist bench on a bench where it's, you know, at waist level, it's easy to access. But you can't create the environment in that condition like you can under a bench with it kind of a greenhouse within a greenhouse and then you get the cooling effect from the heavy gravel it's an amazing facility i, I always laugh when i i go to the arboretum and they have a beautiful glass greenhouse a very sophisticated facility and they can hardly they can root maybe 10 percent of what we do and i always tell them you need a little more grit <laughs> <laughs> well is it kind of dark under the bench well, you know, it, it's covered with clear plastic, so it's not exceedingly dark. Uh, we don't put plants on top of it. In fact, we have a, a natural ecosystem that grows on top of the mist bench, and in the summer it's filled with tree frog tadpoles. Yeah. Uh, and I think all of them, you know, end up growing out to be tree frogs because we have thousands and thousands of them. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking uh, via email about my search for Cornus, Florida, either Urbaniana or Pringley, and uh, which has the fused bracts instead of having the normal flat bracts of a of a white dogwood. The bracts are fused, and you've been searching for them too. With uh, and you have a few that you're trying. So when you have a deciduous tree, how do you propagate that? I like to stick all my deciduous trees in generally weather depending as early as the third week of April until maybe the second week of June. So I kind of have my production in in seasons. So it's good that I do most of the broadleaf evergreens midsummer, so that I have a lot of time to do. I have the best success with conifers and deciduous trees and shrubs in that kind of early softwood flush of wood. Oh. Uh, and generally, I'll you know, it will only take a matter of days, often, you know, 10 to 15 days at that time of the year to get a plant to root. Oh, so my goodness. So I actually took cuttings <laughs> of that cornice, you know, in, in late May, and they're already rooted, and we potted them so that we will be able to have it for sale in the spring. And you have a couple of sources that you've been taking cuttings from. We do. You know, we find that on a plant like that, 
it's good, you know, because it's often grown from seed. Uh, it's good to be able to, you know, get some genetic diversity because it is a plant that can be prone uh, to powdery mildew and a lot of leaf puckering in the southeast. And, in fact, the cuttings that are from the J.C. Ralston Arboretum plant, which is definitely the correct plant, it, it flowers in the appropriate way, is really prone to powdery mildew. But then we have two other sources that seem to have, you know, some resistance to that. They're not entirely clean, but their leaves are still, you know, in in proper health. They don't look like they need to, you know, drop their leaves and reflush mm. in order to be sellable. Mm. So it's really good to, you know, access plants from multiple sources because then you can compare as the genetics aren't always the same. Well, I have lots of seedlings from a couple of different years, and I have a bunch of them that have no mildew and no flowers, and I have a bunch of them that are older and get mildew and no flowers. I mean, I've got some that are six feet tall and have never bloomed. So from seed, I don't know how long it takes for for a dogwood to bloom. I, I guess well, I... Well, and it seems that one takes longer than a lot of others. Great. <laughs> because, you know, most corn of Florida bloom really young. I mean, we grow this one, it's super cute, called Swanee Squat. And it, it's, you know, it's only like three and a half foot tall by six to eight wide. It's super cute for residential space. It's covered in flowers in the first year. These are one-year-old cuttings and... You know, each one's probably going to have eight or nine blooms on it. Wow. And then the, you know, the Cornus, Florida subspecies, or Vinianas, uh, you know, I, other than the arboretum plant, I don't think I've ever witnessed it in person. So it does seem like it takes a lot longer for that particular, you know, variety to, to set buds. Well, I'm interested in what you think is the future of horticulture. I know that's a big question. Um, I, I get that you... Well, I, I could I could sort of call Camellia Forest a boutique nursery, which is maybe that sounds pejorative, but I really mean it as some as a place where you can find special jewels that you can't find certainly at your local nursery. But uh, also with social media, you are on Facebook all the time. <laughs> I love Facebook. I love taking pictures, and I don't know how else to take a picture and label it and store it so that I can access it whenever I want. Facebook is like meant for me, and I think that it's the easiest way to communicate with, you know, a, a very specific market. Um, you know, thanks to these sites actually within Facebook, like Plant People, uh, Planet Variegated, Planet Camellia, Plant Porn, these are groups of people that all have the same enthusiasm for plants and it's a wonderful forum to discuss plant material and, you know, post pictures of things you don't know and that somebody always has an answer. It makes you realize what a huge community this industry has. And it's been a, a really uh, successful way to drive sales because we get great response from other professionals who then, you know, have the same discussion with, say, you know, a, a group of people in Washington State. And so, you know, it's a wonderful way to make the world a smaller place mm. through plants. I think that's the one of the more intriguing things about Facebook. People in Ireland seem like neighbors because I can have, you know, regular conversations with them. And and you told me that you post a picture of a a camellia, a specific camellia, and you and then you get, drive sales. We do. 
and it's really fun when people fill out on the, uh, you know, inquiry, the the receipt that they're provided, where they found out, because it, it's always cute when it comes from, you know, plant porn or Facebook. It's like, oh, good. I'm glad we posted that picture. It, it's actually a great way to let people know when we are having, you know, an open house sale or, you know, last, last year uh, one variety of Camellia Crimson Candles was just in full flower for Valentine's Day. And we ran a Facebook special on that. And, you know, what a great Valentine's Day gift. You could give somebody a camellia that's in full bloom, and you can plant it, and they have a Valentine every year. That's way better than a dozen roses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to go green, buy somebody a plant for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I wish we had more time. We have a little more time, and I do want to talk about tea. But uh, in my mind, as we're talking, I'm thinking of one of my favorite camellias, which I've killed twice. So that's sort of, usually for me, it's three strikes, and it's uh, Camellia lechuensis. Do you you know that plant? I do know that plant. It's a phenomenal species. And, you know, I'll tell you, in general, the species really deserve a lot more attention. Um, You know, with the texture of the leaves and, you know, a smaller flower, but more abundant flowering. And fragrant, form. incredibly fragrant. Oh, you know, Fraterna, have you grown Fraterna? No. That has a fabulous weeping form, you know, and it gets covered in these fragrant white flowers. They almost really, they look like an orchid. Well, I can't grow any of these outdoors. Well, I shouldn't say that. I can't. I can hardly grow any of them outdoors. So, uh, carrying it over through the winter has always been a big problem. And uh, the, I've tried some of the camellias that certain big gigantic nurseries have claimed are very hardy, and they just are not hardy for me. Even though it isn't really that cold here, but they just look horrible. But one that seems to live is Korean Red. Do you know that one? I do well. We I think we call that Korean fire and Korean snow, both from uh, Barry Yinger. Right, right. Korean fire. And those I guess. are those are definitely uh, the two that we recommend as being the very hardiest. Um, you know, I think some of the Sasanquas, uh, especially Sasanqua olifera hybrids like Autumn Spirit, might be hardy, but I don't think you'd have a lot of success with even the Zone Zone Six. Uh, Those broadleaf evergreens just don't like cold winter wind. And I'll tell you, this is a chronic issue with mail order because now that the zone maps have changed, you know, people from the Midwest are, you know, calling and and ordering a lot of camellias. And I'm really concerned that, you know, they're going to fail. And we don't have a, you know, an automatic return policy like box stores do. But people expect it. And, you know, that can really injure a nursery (laughs) If, you know, because of a weather snafu, we have to, you know, suddenly be obliged to replace thousands of dollars in plants. And I think that's one thing that the zone map isn't doing justice for the industry because some plants are zone six, but they might be an East Coast zone six, not a Midwest zone six, where Mm. the wind blows for four months straight. Right. So that's a big concern. The cold, the, the potential for, for cold winters now that people feel safe because it's been warm for the last few years. Well, we only have about 60 seconds left, but uh, I've noticed in the last probably 15 years there was a little bit of interest in people growing tea because tea's gotten so popular for health reasons and everything, but that seems to have exploded. 
Oh, tea is fantastic. And, you know, it's a beautiful plant for, you know, a foundation landscape. It's a broadleaf evergreen with beautiful white flowers. And I didn't, even, I didn't even say it was a camellia. <laughs> it is, yeah, camellia sinensis. Every grocery store has it and nobody realizes it. <laughs> so on your website, I, on the Camellia Forest Nursery website, and we'll have a link on the com website, uh, you have different kinds of tea and also directions and instructions for making your own tea. And I mean, like, uh, not just making it in a pot, but how one might want green tea or white tea or black tea. And I encourage everyone to go and visit that. And Bree, we are out of time. But thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to my conversation with Brianne Glovna-Arthur. She's the propagator and grower, Camellia Forest Nursery in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Please join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt Garden Show.